Are you ready to party? Let's go. Rob Consolo, welcome to the podcast, dude. What's up, man? The probably the coolest last name because it goes with Han Solo. Exactly. Yeah, I'm sure you got that. I my jerk right now for doing that. No, not at all. No, <laughs> honestly, like, like I said, I we were talking a little bit about it earlier, but you know, fifth grade math teacher, man, that's what he went with, and ever since then, I've heard it quite a few times. So uh, now I'm totally okay with it, and I'm a space guy, so it vibes. Oh yes, you are a space guy. We're gonna get into a lot of cool stuff, I think. But you came. Um, I this is my first day meeting you actually because we had Seth on here. Yep. Um, what was this? Seth uh, Rosenstein. Like, Rosenstein. That's yep. right, my guy, uh, who's probably throwing one of the craziest parties for uh, the Fourth of July. By the way, just I think we're all going to oh, later yeah. today. And you know, and you know what the best part too <laughs> about this party is that it's actually going to charity. I know, dude. When he told me that, yep. I was like, Seth, this is why I love you, man. <laughs> so cool. He was like, we're, you know, when we make the money and all the excess that happened that they get, he gets right, it's going to charity. It's going to Teach for America. So, you know, it's going to go to the kids and to the teachers and stuff. And I think that's super awesome. So that's going to be a great time. Seth is awesome, dude. Oh, absolutely. It's going to be wild. Hey, that's why I'm- There's also going to be no parking. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're in LA. There's no parking period. It's Come in on. Redondo Beach, right? Exactly. There's no parking. No, not at all. Oh, dude. <laughs> We'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll yeah. be a good time. Dude. We'll, we'll we'll park, you know, like in in Hollywood, and we'll just walk. Right? <laughs> 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 yeah, I went I went up to the beach. We're talking about, it, but I went to the beach uh, in L.A. What was it, Hermos or something like that? Last mm-hmm. weekend, it took me an hour. Oh, I'm not even surprised. You, you know how many times I circled around? I was getting so annoyed, man. I was just like, why did I even come up here? Why am I? I never come to the beach in L.A. This is horrible. Yeah, we uh, we so I landed on Wednesday, and we uh, Seth had a bunch of his friends. We were going to trivia, and so we get down to uh, it was like the you know where American Junkie and like all that stuff is. Um, I, I think it's Redondo or Hermosa. I forget. Okay, but regardless, we're down there. We're trying to look for parking, and we get into the parking garage, and it's just packed. I mean, nothing. And we're like, oh, like maybe we could park on the street. And I, I like say that. Everyone looks at me. He's like, nope. And I was like, okay. There's no park on the street <laughs> and, here and on Solo. the worst part is, you know, like these parking garages that they like put there, you're expecting like, oh, like, you know, at least there's going to be a turnaround up top or something. Like you get up to the top and oh, there's just tight, parking dude. spaces. And, you know, Seth drives this like Jeep truck thing. And I'm just like, <laughs> bro, we're stuck. Like might as well just park it here because we're not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Seth, dude. It's G- dude, that thing is pretty, pretty rad. Oh, dude, it's sick. It's rad. I, I'm jealous. I love it. Yeah, I know. I'm driving around a Tesla. I look at him. I'm like, God dang it. I need to get something like that. Dude, so I got a, I, I put a down a reservation because right now I'm driving my 2015 Volkswagen Jetta that's got like 100,000 okay. miles on it. It's okay. Oh, Paid off though, right? Oh yeah. Love it. I love it. Let's go. It's a great car, uh, but you know, looking, you know, gas is expensive. I mean, gas is not, yeah, at least in Houston, it's not, you know, LA expensive, but it's expensive for what it is right now. And so uh, I've been looking at new cars and stuff. So I put a reservation down for the Silverado EV. No way. Yeah. So when those come out, I mean, probably like two, okay, two years from you're, now. So because, you know, you and Seth and, you know, the friends you guys have, you guys are all very, very intelligent people, which oh, yeah. I love. Hey, you know, I, kids, I'm here, and I say this respectfully. I love the nerds, man. <laughs> because you know why, dude? The nerds run the world. Dude, I, they, we may listen. have been picked on later earlier on in life, but we we freaking run the world. Hell yeah, okay? We make the most money. Hell yeah. Let's go, baby. Listen, I always say this. You know, people say like, oh, like, is nerd like a derogatory thing? I was like, no, nah, dude, I embrace that, man. Oh, I'm to. a nerd and I love it. And, you know, I, I love the things I do. I love, you know, the, the hobbies that I have and everything. And yeah. so I just, you know, 
embrace it, right? Embrace who you are, embrace your passion. And you know, that shit carries you, man. Oh, it's awesome. I, I still, I still want to go to the desert. I think it's with Seth and shoot rockets. Yeah. Or watch them launch rockets. Yep. I, I'm dying to do that, dude. I really want to go. Well, so there's going to be some pretty exciting stuff this year. I mean, even stuff that I'm working on that, you know, is coming up. You know, it's been it's been a long time coming, but it's it, things are happening. So uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, the Artemis missions. Um, yeah. So oh, yeah. that's, you know, uh, America's return to the moon and, and beyond. And is, is that what you guys are, is your main focus right now? Yeah. So, so uh, my team's a little interesting. So I, I guess uh, for, for context, right? Uh, so uh, I live in Houston. I'm okay. a NASA flight controller. Let's uh, go. <laughs> Bingo. Yeah. Uh, we got a NASA flight controller on here, people. Let's <laughs> go, baby. Yeah, man. It's, it's a hell of a job. It is. I'm sure. It is absolutely one of the coolest jobs. Um, I, I love it because, you know, it's, it's not for every engineer. You know, there's a lot of engineers that are love to get into the designs. They love to really um, dig deep into the analysis pieces and things like that. Um, like Seth is a great example. Seth is a, a, a designer at heart. He loves to design the rocket bodies and things like that, right? Uh, I'm more of an operator. I like my hands-on stuff. I like sitting at a console and, you know, actually seeing the mission through, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's what I do. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a trainee, technically. So I have um, we have two pieces to our branch. Um, there's the uh, space station branch, so okay. International Space Station. We ha- um, Our console is called Spartan. Um, and, you know, in classic NASA fashion, we have an acronym for everything. So Spartan stands for Station uh, Power, Articulation, and Thermal Analysis. Those are some very big words, Rob. Yeah. Long st- <laughs> to simplify the best, it's we do everything power on space station. So anything requiring electrical power, we handle. Uh, we do all the rotating joints. So there's wow. actually a whole bunch of things that rotate on space station um, constantly. So we handle those. And then we also do all the external uh, external thermal control systems. So um, we remove heat from inside a station and then uh, bring it out to the radiators and push it out to space. Now how, what got you, okay, so how did your aerospace career start that got you into being a flight controller as an engineer? So like what, what, what inspired you to do this? You know, that's an awesome question. Uh, I mean, honestly, it really started, uh, I mean, when I was a kid, you know, I was a little kid. I watched like my first like space shuttle launch in like a science classroom or something. Is that the 1990s? Uh, that's when they were still. Wa- they- I was in elementary school, probably like in the two- early 2000s. But like, oh, yeah, Rob, I was bo- you just aged the hell. I, I know, dude. God I'm sorry. Dang it, Rob. Why do we got to do I'm, this? I was born. I was born in 1995. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Bringing, bringing the. Okay, age. I gotta ask this. Well, you think that's bad, man? There's people who are like 21 now that were born like after 9/11, and that just throws me. It off. It does throw me off, dude. <laughs> well, when people. Say, I, Okay, so I still have the problem with when people say 30 years ago, mm-hmm. I still think 1970. Oh, gosh, yeah. It's not. <laughs> no. Dude, I'm like, it's fine. It, it's, it's tripping me out. <laughs> it's tripping me out. Like, oh, yeah, 30 years ago. I'm like, oh, yeah, in the 70s. Like, what? Dude. No, I'm talking like 90s. I'm like, wait. What's happening? I, I saw something the other day. It was like one of those like old Shakira songs. And I was like, yeah, this song came out like 20 years ago. I was like, what? It did what? <laughs> Eminem. Some of his songs are starting to go in the classics. Yep. It's like, what's happening? Uh, dude, it's crazy. We're going to start seeing throwback albums. And it's going to be like the things like from the early 2000s. And oh, yeah. like, that's that's not okay. <laughs> dude, it's, it's, that's, it's wild. Wild how fast time flies, dude. Oh, yeah. But yeah, so like um, like hopping back, you know, I, I saw, you know, Space Shuttle launch in like a classroom on like probably one of the various movies. Okay, so with, not to interrupt you again, but yeah. the Space Shuttle launch. 
when they wheeled the TV in for you. Yeah. Was it on the cart tube TV with a strap over it? Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. dude. So you're still in the Absolutely. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. We're, we're still there. We're, we're still on the same page. Okay, here. I got yeah, you. No, I, I, was, I was in before the era of smart boards and projectors and all yeah, the Yeah, the flat screen coming down from, uh, the, roof, yeah. from the ceiling. Like, what? <laughs> the, the straight chalkboard that every time the teacher wrote, your ears were burning. You oh, know, yeah. That whole thing. Oh, yeah. So... Uh, I mean, it was New York public school, so we might have been back a few years anyways, but like, that's a whole nother thing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so um, I saw that and, you know, I just kind of was sold. Um, my mom said when I was a, like a toddler, I always like had an infatuation with rockets and planes and stuff. That's cool. So kind of just carried. Um, and, you know, most kids, you know, they dream like I, I, I wanted to be an astronaut. That was like my like, oh, I want to do that. I want to ride on that. That looks super cool. Uh, and, you know, for most kids that can die pretty quickly because, you know, it's like, oh, that's not achievable or whatever the case might be. Uh, my mom did the total opposite. She said, cool, and sent me to space camp. Uh, <laughs> and so I was, uh, I think I was like 12 years old. And uh, I literally flew to Alabama on my own as like one of those like unaccompanied minors because like my mom was a single mom, so she couldn't really leave my oh, sister God bless behind. your mom, dude. Good for her. Oh, yeah. She and, wanted the best for you. That's cool. Exactly. And so we, uh, she sent me to space camp and I like, went to Huntsville, Alabama, uh, which is where uh, space camp is. It's out of like uh, around like the Marshall Space Flight Center, I think. Okay, how long was that? Uh, It was about, I want to say like two weeks or so. So it was a good stand. It wasn't like four days. You were there for a minute. It was actually kind of crazy. I mean, listen, I'm 12 years old or something at that that point, and we did like a full-scale mission simulation, like a six-hour mission sim where like we had, uh, we did it twice. One time you do it while you're in mission control, and one time you do it as um, potentially one of the astronauts. And... So I did that. I was I was Capcom in Mission Control for one of the simulations. So I was talking to the crew, getting the task done, whatever. And then I did it a second time, and I was actually the EVA, like spacewalker, like in a. Whoa. And they throw you in a full spacesuit and everything, and then you have this like little anti gravity harness, yeah. and so you're just climbing it and. Wow, I'm 12 years old at that point. Boy, it got you hooked, didn't oh, it? Oh, hell yeah, That's man. Cool. And so from that point forward, you know, I saw it as an achievable goal. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I had high school guidance counselors that were like, oh, you know, like, that's that's a little rough. Like maybe you should like think about like a more achievable career. Like oh like you know you be a cop sucks. or something or whatever. And I'm yeah. like you know, I was first off I was like one you act like uh, being a cop is just like this cop out career right like but mm-hmm. that's not you know there's a lot that goes into that. And so then the the follow up to that is who are you like what like uh, I'm trying to achieve something big here. You should be providing me my options. It, you know it's okay to make someone realize that the statistical like you know, difficulty that's going to come with trying to achieve something difficult like that. But it's, you know, give the man a chance, right? Like let them, let them see their options and let them run it. You know? Well, I think it's a problem nowadays too. Like nobody has room to put anyone down when they want to go for a dream or achieve a goal. And that's so damaging to someone who's still, you know, relatively a child and their adolescent years, right? Those are still informative years. You're trying to figure out who you are and your own personality, what you want to do with your life. And then you're like, oh, I want to do this. Yep. And then someone who's above you, you you know, maybe quote unquote look up to is telling you, nah, you should probably try something else. Like that's kind of damaging. That sucks. I I hate it when people told me I couldn't do stuff. People told me I'd never be a firefighter. Yep. They said, you're not smart enough. And I felt that. And it sucked. But then I started using it as fuel to the fire. Like, you know what? Exactly. Screw you people. I'm going to show you I can do this. So I worked harder. Exactly. And honestly, that's that's the mentality a lot of people need. Uh, Really, You really need to be able to take critique whatever that might be whether it's constructive or not and being able to use that as fuel in the fire for sure and i mean uh, i have a lot of things in my background that kind of 
prefaced me to that before those points to really push me down that uh, rabbit hole. So, I mean, so I guess some background on me. So uh, my mom, sister, and I were actually in a, a huge car accident. Uh, we oh. got hit by a cop car on the way how, to a bank robbery. How old were you? I was in middle school. So I want to say roughly 14 or 15 years old Did at this you, point. Maybe actually so 16. You got hit by a cop car that was responding to a bank robbery? Yep. What are the odds? It, Dude. At sheer circumstance. It's absolutely crazy. Um, it led to a whole bunch of things. So my mom is actually now partially disabled. Oh, uh, my man. sister kind of took her own hits as well. Um, I left pretty much unscathed. Uh, I actually, the one thing I will always remember from that day is, uh, you know, all that happened and I was actually able to get out of the car and I was just kind of like in shock. You know, like one of those, it's, I guess one of those like uh, literally just shock moments, right? Where it's like if you were in a war zone and like things just blew up and all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I kind of like walked down. I'm like looking around and it's just sheer shock. Oh, yeah. um, but yeah. regardless of that, um, you know, it's, I think that was a really big defining moment, right? Because there's a lot of things that could happen at that point. You know, we can just shut down and nothing moves on with life mm. or you take what you can and you push forward, right? And so I, even for my mom, right? I mean, in her partial disability, some people said that she may not be able to walk, she may not be able to do things, whatever, right? Um, and she's living a happy life. I mean, her and her, her and her boyfriend travel places and do all sorts of things now, and they are living a happy life and, and enjoy, enjoying it. And, you know, same thing for my sister. You know, she just graduated from Drexel and she's doing her own thing as well. <laughs> so, awesome. I mean, you know, we there was a lot of things that said, you know, probably we shouldn't have been able to go to college. We shouldn't have been able to achieve our dreams. And a lot of us are doing it. And, you know, it's because we had to, I, I, I attribute it partially to having such a shocking experience, you know, mm. young yeah. and realizing the, the limitations of life and realizing that, you know, things are too short, man, to just sit there and say like, ah, oh, that's impossible. Like, screw it. Try it. What's the worst that can happen? You fall on your face, you pick yourself up, you tie your shoes, you keep moving, you know? Very good. Well said. Uh, you know, oh, oh. <laughs> Siri, Siri wanted to take part in the conversation. Siri's joining in on the conversation. Um, no, I mean, and those are, those are situations we've talked about on here a few times, right? It, you know, hard times are going to come to everybody. Yes. I don't care who you are, whether you have the most money in the world yep. or you don't and you're living on the street. Like tough times are going to come and then they're life-defining moments. Yep. You can use it to make yourself better, grit your teeth and get through it, or you can let it conquer you. Hell yeah. You know, and I love that you're, that's something that you do is like, okay, this is happening, but how can I use this to fuel my future? Absolutely. And how many times do people tell you, no, you're not smart enough or you can't do this or, you know, but you still were like, cool, I'm going after what I want to go after. I wish more people had that in them, but we're all made different. Yep. You know, and, and some people can't handle the discouragement, you know, 100%. and then so much of it is mental and living in fear. Mm -hmm. And like you said, right, gosh, well, the fear of something new and change and change is hard. Yeah. Change is difficult. It's hard for me, but it's also the fear of failure. Yep. And how many good ideas, excuse me, how many good ideas are in the grave? Yeah. Because people were too afraid to step out and take a chance. 100% agree with you. you 110%. Know, it's, and I hear, see it all the time with people. They talk about me having this podcast and some other things I do. And I'm like, you guys, I don't have it figured out. A lot of people think I have, have it made and I got it figured out. I'm doing this and that. I'm like, I, I don't. I just go for it. Yeah. Because what do you have to lose? Someone says, no, you fail. You don't get the job. doesn't work out. Okay, well, I'll just try something else. I'll regroup and do it again. Hell I yeah. have failed, Rob, a million times. Yeah. At a ton of things. Dude, listen, I get it. It's absolutely same. Absolutely same. I mean, like, 
it, it didn't stop at that moment, you know? Like, right. I mean, failure, and that's the other thing people got to realize too, is that it's not like a fail once and like, up, oh, it's over. Like, no, dude, the, things will come from around the corner and just knock you out, put you right on the floor. Um, I mean, I started college as an aerospace engineer and I nearly failed out of college my very first semester. Wow. I had a 1.7 GPA. <laughs> my, I, my guy, 1.7. 1.7. <laughs> I, I took a beating and I realized it's because, you know, I wasn't nearly as prepared as I thought I was. Yeah. I went in with zero work ethic and mm. I just kind of expected to flow through and it was not the case. Yeah, but what has that taught you now? Uh, dude, right? So it, it's taught me a, a million things, right? It taught me that, you know, your path isn't defined by the, that one failing moment, right? There it, it is. There it is. <laughs> Love it. 100%, dude. Just I mean, because you fail doesn't mean you're a failure forever. Exactly. You figure out what you can and you choose the path that still brings you to the same end goal. Love it, baby. And that's what I did, man. You know, I, I changed over. Uh, my uh, school was actually, so I, I went to Embry-Riddle, same place as Seth. So a bunch of like <laughs> I keep airplane, school, air, like airplane rocket Kim, nerds. All these other people. I'm like, <laughs> I guess I should go to Florida and go to school here. Dude, I mean, listen, <laughs> let's be honest. College in Daytona Beach, what a wild idea. Mm. I mean, aside from the fact that, you know, super specialized school, like I knew I wanted to do that industry. So it was a great, like great outlet. Yeah. But oh my goodness, doing it in Daytona Beach was such a great idea. It's been wild. You, you go do a final and then you just go to the beach and it's like, wow, that's the best life. Yeah, <laughs> everyone's super tan. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was a great time. I mean, I, you know, some people kind of hated Daytona because it's just like one of those like time like one of those towns that's kind of stuck in the days but it's getting better it's more like modernized now and stuff too oh god everyone's moving to florida oh yeah. you know so i'm sure it's it's i think a lot of things are probably changing like just like was it florida texas tennessee yep a lot yeah. of people are going to those well so montana fun fact because of like how many people kind of moved in the midst of the pandemic and everything like that florida is actually currently the most expensive state to live in which is pretty what? shocking to be saying in california yeah someone they were they released an analysis so based on like what the minimum wage is and what the average pay gate uh, oh, okay, yeah. and all that stuff is. And based on cost of living, Florida is currently the most expensive state to live in. And that's because of the influx of people, right? Yeah, of course. Demand went up, supply went down. So wow. it's and crazy. It, yeah, because, oh, you know, it's, it's really good you say it because I remember talking about this with somebody and they're saying because I guess, you know, the the job opportunity there isn't as much as it would be kind of here. Yep. And as far as like pay being high or lower, like the pay is a little bit lower, yeah. but now the house prices are going up. Yeah. And people can't afford with the jobs that they offer that they can't afford to really live. Dude, house prices kill me. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm like house shopping in Texas and it's still like crazy. And I'm just, well, that's changed too, right? Yeah. With all the people coming out. Yeah. Where homes used to be like 250 to 300,000. Now they're up in the fives and sixes or more. Exactly. So oh, I'm trying to play the waiting game a little bit. I've already, I've already established like the first thing I'm probably going to buy is like something like a, you know, triplex or quadplex and you know, rent the other Ooh, places smart. out, you know, and then you have those people who you're renting to or paying your mortgage and you're just kind of living there for a year oh, yeah. uh, and then kind of move on from that. So I'm waiting. I'm, you know, playing the game. I mean, I'm going to be in Houston for probably the at least near future, probably longer. Um, so just wait, dude, I'm especially happy. if they're saying recession and stuff's coming, like just, just wait. Exactly. <laughs> just so, wait, man. Just playing the waiting game for now and just trying to, you know, secure myself as much yeah. as possible. But um, man, yeah. so when you, when you went to get hired with NASA, mm -hmm. how was that process? So, you know, if funny enough, it's actually not a crazy thing. Really? Because so, I would think, you know, it's kind of as a child, as a kid, like like you said, yeah. you watch it on TV, you're seeing these people go to space, you yeah. know, John F. Kennedy, we choose to go to the moon, you know, all oh, this yeah. stuff. And, you know, it's, it's, 
it's built to be such an amazing big thing. So you would think like, man, I got to apply for NASA. Like I better have my stuff together. You know, this is going to be hard to get this job. The hardest part is getting your resume looked at. Uh, so really? a hundred percent. So, I mean, for example, my job, uh, being a flight controller, uh, we're actually a predominantly a contractor population. So um, there's there's two, I guess, pop populations in NASA, right? You have civil servants who are like the true government employees. They work directly for NASA. They work for the U.S. government. Okay. Uh, and then you have contractors. So I'm a contractor. I work for a company called KBR. Okay. Um, and they are the prime contract holder on uh, this uh, contract called Integration Mission Operations Contract, or IMOC, um, you know, acronyms all day. And so we uh, are contracted to help support the operations of Space Station. And so that's who I work for. And it, it's hard because th those applications, I mean, we have listings out, uh, you know, pretty much all, all the time. They do new classes of flight controllers. And I say classes because it's literally like a class. You are signing up for another master's in operating space. Oh, I, I can't imagine yeah. what you have to know it's, to be able to do that. It's a two-year training program. Two years to be a flight controller. Yep. It's, it's oh, pretty boy. crazy. It's two, it's two years. It's like you're, you're learning everything you need to know. So you're learning the high level stuff. So like we, we call it like, you know, electrical engineering and mechanical engineering for dummies. Right. And then you start going into the hardware, like what the hardware is, how it works, what the innards of the hardware look like. Then from that, you start looking at software and then, you know, start operating, figuring out how to appropriately operate and stuff like that. And so there's a lot that plays into that. And so we, in order to just get to that point, right. Um, that job listing gets thousands of people, tens of thousands of people at a time. So it's competitive. Absolutely. There was one person. Uh, so th the way I got there is uh, I was signed up for my university career fair mm -hmm. and I got a message in, in our like little platform and they were like, Hey, yeah. So like I saw your resume really interesting and uh, I'd love to talk to you some more if you can make some time. And I was like, sure. Uh, and then I started looking a little bit deeper because at this point I had no idea who KBR was. Uh, I, I knew like the people who had contracts for flight controllers, but I did not know KBR had that contract. Well, it's interesting you say because I, I never knew flight controllers were contracted out. Yep. I thought you were all just straight in NASA. Yep. You know, it's a, it's a check the box. We got somebody there. Exactly. So it's, it's very, you know, it, it takes a little bit just to figure out the system. Right. Mm -hmm. So once you get there and so I started like Googling, you know, doing the, the normal, like I'm in college and I'm trying to get jobs. So let me Google this uh, employee or this person, check their LinkedIn to figure out what I need to talk about yeah. in this interview. And I look him up and he's like, oh, like he's a hiring, like he's the manager for this branch, like for this console position in flight control. And I'm like, oh, whoa, this is real. Like, okay. And so what did I do after that? You know, that's my, been my dream, right? Like I, I always wanted to be an astronaut. I still want to be an astronaut, but I always told myself that if for whatever reason that was unachievable unach uh, for whatever, like, you know, having your plan B, right? What is something oh, yeah. else that you Smart. would be happy doing for, for the rest of your life? And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I want to be a flight controller. Equally as hard to try to get into. <laughs> so yeah, I was a smart kid. Right. <laughs> and so I, I figured, I uh, started looking into everything and I, so what I did is I cleared my schedule and I booked time with him and all the HR people that were showing up and every single HR person told me the same thing. I mean, I'll, I'll try, but like, good luck. Like last time we put this application, we got 18,000 applicants for one position. Yeah. And I was just like, incredible. Oh, that's incredible. God. So I was just convinced. I was like, all right, like we'll see how it plays. Right. Uh, end up doing my little talk with the hiring manager and he was really happy. He, he seemed to enjoy like talking with me and that was kind of the end of it. And so then I kind of followed up on my like, you know, just 
being like, hey, man, like, it was really great talking to you. Like, I hope things are well, whatever. Like, it was like a couple weeks after. And he's like, what are you doing this summer? I was like, well, right now, not a whole lot of anything. And he's just <laughs> like, well, you want an internship? And I was like, I wouldn't say no to an internship in Mission Control. And he was like, all right, uh, let's talk today in like an hour. And he gave me a full-time interview. So, like, he gave me, like, what they would typically give as questions in, for a full-timer. And uh, it was pretty interesting. Uh, they were... Uh, there were like some that were like relatively technical where they wanted you to kind of dive into your technical experiences. Um, but then uh, some situational stuff. And so this is where people have this misconception of like flight controllers that they have to be these doctoral, crazy, super smart, like people, right? That's what I would uh, think. It, well, of course. Yeah. And, and that's initial I, perception. Exactly. And I mean, I thought that too. I didn't think this was a job that I could get until I was 10 years in industry. This wow. is not something I thought that I could just come out of college and do. And I started talking with them more. And, and now, you know, when I did my internship and stuff, I've come to realize that your ideal flight controller is not the smartest guy in the room that just happens to know everything um, because those people are dangerous. Um, it's because their level of intellect, their, you know, confidence in the, I want to say confidence, but just more like their embracing of like all their knowledge that they just don't ever, they're not ever willing to really say that they're wrong. And mm. that's a dangerous thing to have in flight controller. You need to be able to rely on your team. You need to have that kind of dynamic and you need to have a really good problem solving method. You need to be able to sit with yourself, even for something that you like feel like, you know, and say, let me start from the beginning. Let's take this step for step and let's yeah. think through this problem because we've got time. There's no rush here. We're not like 60 seconds on the clock. Let's think through this and let's make sure we do the right thing because if we do the wrong thing, someone can die. Wow. And so... And you can lose mil millions and millions of dollars. Oh, I mean, so you. I wish it was just millions. We're talking billions. Of oh dollars. my god! <laughs> so you're, it's almost like what you're saying is it, it could almost be dangerous to hire someone who's too smart. To a point. I mean, we obviously like I I 100 say like some of the people in my group are uh, just unbelievably smart, very very smart people, um, and you know I think everyone is, is smart in their own way. They have little niches that they're good at. And that's what we try to capitalize on, mm. you know, capitalize on the things that others may know. And, you know, you would think that every single person in my group is going to be, you know, a mechanical engineer, right? We do power, we do thermal. So mechanical and en electrical engineers, like they're probably it. Not even true. I, there's someone on my team that's biomedical. There's another person on my team that uh, did more like just like human factor stuff, which is something that I, I have experience in too. So it's, it, there's a lot of diverse knowledge and it's because the training program really provides you the hardcore technical knowledge that you're going to need to do. That's why we do that training program. It's to take someone off the street and turn them into an experienced space station flight controller. Mm. Um, but what's the attrition rate on that? That's the hard part. So, I mean, I mean, cause you got to, there, there has to be standards. Yeah, of course. You know, and you, cause okay, I say this all the time. We have standards, at least in the fire service, cause you call 911 mm -hmm. and your family is hurt or injured or needs rescue you don't want the C, D, and F firefighter. Yeah. You want that B and A. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, <laughs> you want someone who's on it. You know, you got to have expectations and you got to keep them high, especially in your industry because there's so much at risk. Oh, yeah. So absolutely. what what is that attrition rate for someone who goes into flight controller for NASA? It's so, two years. That's a really awesome question because funny enough, it's really like really low. Really? Yes. So the people who come in, our training program is very well built. It is built to really run you through the basics and then get more and more advanced with time to the point where you're sitting on a console and you truly know so what they, you need to do. So they, they want you to pass. Yes. Because they're putting money into you, right? Absolutely. So they they make it to where you can learn, 
pass the test, whatever it may be, because yep. it's like an investment. So the the cost of training a flight controller is very equivalent to the cost of training a uh, military fighter pilot. Oh, it's a, it's wow. on the range of like about a million dollars per Ooh, person. So million dollars. Yeah, because you got to think, right? There's a lot of logistical pieces to go into it, right? You're talking facilities, you're talking salaries, you're talking people and whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So it takes a lot uh, of money, resource, and power that to to get these people through their training. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it it's very well done. They know what they're doing. And it's to the point where, you know, people leave uh, leave these training programs and assume their positions on console with such a level of experience that they're being poached by all the different commercial companies because they know that, like, this guy just got a million plus dollar, guy or girl, uh, yeah. just got a million dollar plus training program on how to be a flight controller, how to do operations. And so, so after you go through that training, yeah. knowing that they, I've seen this with government agencies, they yeah. make you sign a contract to stay a minimum amount, amount of time because they, it's like a pilot, right? Yeah. They sign that 10 or 12 year contract. I, and I thought that would be, yeah. And I thought that would be the case here too, but it is not. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. So you can get that training and I, I would imagine private sector pays a lot better than it does. I will say this. Um, I love my job. Uh, the people I work with are absolutely unbelievable. They are some of the coolest, most just really humble people. And I, I've worked in the commercial industry. Uh, so I've I've done internships with Boeing. I've done internships with SpaceX, Northrop Grumman. Um, I, I've been around. I've seen a lot of places. Um, the atmosphere you get working for NASA is one of the true reasons why I firmly believe NASA has achieved, you know, being the best place to work in the government for like nine years running or something. Um, it's, it is just such a different workplace. I mean, you really just get on a different level with your coworkers. Um, they're very exciting to work with. They're very willing to help you. If Mm. you ever at like you, I've walked in the door in January as a full timer for the first time. And there's definitely times that I feel like I've asked some pretty stupid questions. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, that happens, right? Like you just blank out. You're like, I don't know what this is. And not one person will ever make you feel bad for that. I love that. They'll sit you down and they'll walk you step for step through whatever it is to just help you get that understanding. And that is so valuable. How? But th- that makes such a great work environment, and it makes such a good learning environment where you're yeah. not afraid to be like, you know, I don't know what this is. Can you help me? Yeah. Where you go somewhere where they put you down, yeah, or you're such an idiot, or they, you know, make fun of you or make you belittle you. Yeah. Now you're afraid to speak up. That's dangerous for our company, exactly. And for a fire department, or for NASA, or for whoever. You got to be able to feel comfortable in your leadership and yep. the people that work next to you to speak up. Especially we're we're doing space, right? Space is extremely difficult, and in our case, uh, and and most commercial, some commercial entities' cases now too, lives are literally on the line. There oh are God, astronaut, know. you know, whether they be private or you know, true astronauts that are. Like their lives are in your hands. And if you choose to not speak up, you choose to do something, you know, just to cut a little bit of a corner or cut some time out or whatever, you run the risk of potentially killing someone. It's and too, that's much a, at, too much at stake. No, absolutely. And and that's a that's a lot to take in. And so we have these uh, things that are called like the foundations of flight control or foundations of flight operations. And these are uh, foundations that have been built over the years. Um, they're, you know, things you can look up now too, because a lot of them were actually developed by Gene Kranz. He's one of the old like flight directors from like the Apollo era. Wow. 
And, you know, I'll, these foundations were predominantly written in blood. Um, you know, there, oh, yeah. there are things that, you know, yeah. you hear that in aviation, you hear that in space. And it's like these rules and the, these uh, regulations or whatever, they exist in blood because, you know, someone lost their life for these. And so yeah. there's things like, you know, confidence, competence, vigilance, like things like that, that, you know, have come from all the way back from the Apollo one fire, all the way to the Challenger and Columbia incidents. Tragic. You know, it's just like that loss of life is something that we don't want to see again. And so we try to maintain the level of awareness that we need to, to ensure that we, um, you know, we don't experience that again. Um, and what we're about to do, you know, moving forward is extremely risky, right? We're trying to go to the moon. We're trying to go to the Artemis missions. Correct. Exactly. Trying to go back to the moon, trying to go uh, to Mars. And, um, you know, if we go to Mars, we're talking, uh, you know, it, it's a six month trip there, right? Um, on, on a best day. And so you get to Mars and then now you have a 40 minute calm delay and that's one way. So now it's just like, Oh, like, all right, cool. So I can send a text message. They'll get it in 40 minutes. And then 40 minutes after they send something, I'll get it back. So we're talking 80 minutes, almost an hour and a half. That's so dangerous. Uh, it's crazy. There's so much can happen. So much can happen in a minute. Yeah. And you're, oh my God. Yeah. So like, it's crazy. Those like latencies and stuff like that are things that we, you know, are readily talking about today mm-hmm. and trying to figure out so that we have the best possible, you know, operational uh, awareness and also just, you know, preparedness for, um, you know, executing that mission. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's our job, right? We plan, train and fly. So in terms of Artemis, we're in the plan phase um, for Artemis 1 we're getting pretty darn close to fly. And that's kind of what I was saying earlier. Yeah. The really exciting thing happening is, you know, SLS is going to launch this year. Um, you know, it's been a long time coming. Uh, it's, I've actually remember, I think I just started college when they were talking about like, Oh, SLS is going to launch. In like oh, two, so everybody two knows SLS. What does that stand for? Oh, sorry. A uh, space launch system. So that okay. is the brand new rocket that NASA has uh, built to send us to the moon and beyond. Um, it is, a monster is a now this is rocket. this rocket the sls yep this is made by nasa not a third party so uh all right I, I will say this so nasa doesn't really just build things on their own okay uh, nasa being a government entity frequently and almost always has a contractor base okay so the uh with sls i mean there's a bunch of different parties that are involved you know ranging from boeing to uh you know united launch alliance um there's all sorts of parties that play uh, like lockheed martin um, working with the orion capsule so there's a lot of players in hand right a lot of stakeholders so um there there's a lot that happens with that um so i it's NASA's project, right? Um, yeah. You know, so NASA being the, uh, I guess, space entity of the people, right? You mm-hmm. know, we, the NASA as a whole is what's developing the initiative and the plan and this like, you know, prospect or, you know, requirements and things like that. And then they contract to actually get those things built up. Okay. Um, okay. But yeah, so a huge rocket. Uh, it's, uh, when it gets into its later configuration, it'll be about a couple feet taller than Saturn V, but currently it's just a couple feet shorter. Will it be the largest rocket ever built? Uh, I think at this point it currently is. And we're gonna we're going to strap two humans on the end of that bad boy. We're gonna strap potentially more than that. <laughs> oh my god! But yeah. So can you imagine the ride on that thing, Rob? Dude, if someone walked That's incredible. Up- if someone walked into this room right now with a big old stack of papers and said, we want you to go sign on the dotted line. I'm in. You're on your way. I'm in. I, I would, I would do right it now. immediately. Yep. I would leave everything, bro. Yep. I would now because <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to comprehend. I talked about this on one episode too, right? It was, um, a, a, one of our guests, he's a, uh, veteran. Okay. And we talked about saving private Ryan yeah. and that opening scene, right? How gnarly that was. And those guys stayed 
Not only did they, if they survived the beaches of Normandy, right? D-Day right. storming and getting into Germany or France, but then they stayed for years, right? Battling. Can you imagine? I can't. Like, I'm trying to think here and comprehend. You load into this rocket. You are being shot off to Mars, and you are you are literally the tip end of a rocket of the biggest one ever built. Yep. And you're flying for NASA. Yep. That would hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, dude, this is. <laughs> This is it. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing this, man. Hell yeah. How many G's are they going to pull when that thing launches? Ah, that's a really great question. I don't know the exact number. I mean, it's enough. It's going to put you in your seat for sure. Like, I mean, I mean, talking seven times gravity. A. I, or? I, I would say I think in terms of just launch loads, you're probably going to feel on the realm of like five to six. It's not going to okay. be anything super crazy because we, we we take those things into consideration, right? And like, right. that's how they design like, you know, how their chairs are going to be oriented and all these things just to like try to minimize that type of loading on the person. Now, if, you know, God forbid something's going wrong and they have to use the abort system, they're probably going to go to sleep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, jeez, dude. It goes, I mean, the, the launch board system is a extremely powerful thing and it has to be, right? You're oh, trying yeah. to pull this capsule off of currently the world's you know most powerful rocket to get it off and out as soon as possible. Because it, you know if we're using that, that's because we're having a really bad day. Something really bad has happened and we need to get you away. So uh, they probably won't even know it's going to happen um, because the automation will do it for them. But when that happens, I mean, it's going to be hard and fast. And, you know, wow. they're probably going to just be, you know, asleep for a moment and then kind of get back together. And they're going to be like, whoa, what just happened? It's like, all right, like we're off the rocket right now. We're going, we're going home. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of crazy stuff that plays into that. And so um, that's kind of what I'm, I'm working on right now, actually. Okay. So I have yeah. the really unique opportunity to be working on our exploration systems right now. Nice. Um, typically, I mean, my group uh, right now is a lot of just, you know, older shuttle guys. Um, really, really awesome, super, super smart guys. Um, uh, and a couple of gals as well that are all very, very smart and they're awesome people. And, uh, so we, we call that console MPO mechanical power officer. Mm-hmm. So we handle all of the power and mechanical systems. So mechanicals are like, uh, pyros, hatches, uh, parachutes, like all that stuff. Um, and so we are on console running that mission from launch to landing. Wow. And, um, you know, so we're preparing for Artemis one right now and it's, it's crazy. That's got to, that's so exciting. It's awesome. I, I think, you know, there's, you know, you always hear sometimes and not to get too crazy at politics, but people are like, we don't need NASA, right? We need to save money and this and that. I'm like, no, we, we need to continue to explore. Absolutely. We have to. Absolutely. We absolutely have to. We need to continue going into space. Yeah. There is no if, ands, or buts about it. I mean, it's that's how we are as humans and humanity. Yeah. We have to see what's out there and what's next and what's going to make us better as a human race. What can we discover that's going to push us forward, you know? Exactly. I mean, it's amazing. If you, I've talked about it before in here, but the, the picture that always gets me is the pale blue dot. Yeah. That, man, that, it, and it always hits me right in the chest and gets me emotional because you begin to realize how huge our universe is. And we've, as much as, as long as NASA's been around, as much as we're doing, we've, we haven't even scratched the surface. Not even Nothing. Close. It's incredible. Yep. That's why I love, I follow the Hubble telescope, the pictures that they take. It's just, it's out of this world. Yeah. I love it. I love everything that, that NASA and the Hubble telescope and space and what you do and Seth and what's well, like, I'm, I'm glad you're on here because everyone always, everyone thinks of the astronaut. Yeah. When you think of space and NASA, right? Mm-hmm. But nobody understands the army of intelligence it takes behind the scenes to get 
those astronauts into space. 100%. And the amazing people we have here in the United States that are, that are some of the most genius and intelligent people working behind the scenes to get this done that don't get celebrated as much as the astronauts do. Exactly. No, there's a whole, like you, you said it so bad, like so perfectly. There is an army of people doing this, you know, oh, yeah. uh, they're, they're the operators, right? They're us that are sitting in the console on the day of launch. But thinking before that, there's the engineers that design and analyze every single inch of that vehicle. Right. There's, and, and that's, in NASA and through contractors, right? Influx of money into numerous economies across the country. And then on top of that, we start talking about the technician, all the way down to the technician that's torquing a single bolt, that if that bolt is not torqued the right way, could potentially lead to a catastrophic uh, moment for that vehicle. Wow. So, you know, there is such a high level of scrutiny and uh, just work and effort that has to go into everything we do. And that goes even into the commercial sector, right? Commercial sector is obviously, um, you know, they're, they're big on, you know, trying to be slimmer on cost and uh, more innovative and things like that. But that comes with the same level of work and scrutiny that comes with what NASA does. And and they're doing it on you know an even more difficult scale because they're dealing with less people um, and at times less time, right? Because yeah. you're, you've got a little bit more of a contractual obligation to meet a certain point because you're a company, right? This is not NASA where you're, you're funded by the government. So there's there's a lot of factors that play into you know the moment when we get get to launch and so I mean SLS and Orion and the Artemis program as a whole um, has been years in the making and um, you know the generations of people that I've worked on it is is unbelievable um, and you know I'm just so unbelievably excited to see you're it in actually a great launch place. yeah you're I, in a you're in a you're in a place where you're seeing history unfold and you're part of it which is absurd it's amazing <laughs> I, it will I, be in history books i can't believe that like that you know this moment is is like real right like that i'm actually you know on the teams that are doing this at, yeah. at this moment and you know we're, we're seeing history unfold and, oh absolutely and just working to ensure that history writes the right way as a flight controller and, and I'm sure you've been in the room when you've you've launched some of these rockets into space, right? Mm -hmm. Well, so uh, I haven't been. Uh, so I've been for like commercial launches. Um, cool. NASA hasn't launched like their own rocket since shuttle, and shuttle ended in 2009. Right, right. So you've been. How is that tension in the room? So on, on the day, I mean, it's it can't be. I mean, it's got to be a mixture of of nervousness, excitement. So like you're thinking, okay, well, God, I hope this doesn't go wrong. But it, this, if this goes right, this, you know, it's gotta be a lot of tension. So I've got four words for you: steely-eyed missile man or steely-eyed missile woman, because <laughs> these people have trained for years for this moment. For that moment, right? For that moment, right? And you know, it, ascent and entry are probably two of the more stressful moments uh, because you know it's a lot of quick thinking, a lot of you know quick response uh, items and things like that, and. I've, I've watched these people perform in numerous, so we do multiple mission simulations, all this stuff, and I've watched them execute time and time again with true scrutiny, competence, and confidence. And they are clear-eyed and they know exactly what they're doing. I love it. And it is amazing to see. And, you know, I've seen even sims that go the wrong way and they purposely go the wrong way, right? Like the, so the training officer in the back is yeah. like, you know, pushing the buttons to make it say, you know, we're going to have a bad day. Yeah. And, you know, from that you learn, right? You figure things out, you start to learn and you get better. And I, I've been with like as a full timer for just about six months and mm. it's, it's unbelievable just in the six months of what I've been able to learn and see firsthand from these, from these guys and gals that it's just unbelievable 
just confidence and, and, and competence, honestly, in what they do. Um, uh, like Gene Kranz has a really famous quote is like tough and competent, you know, and it's like he writes that on a whiteboard. It's like, this doesn't get erased. This was during Apollo 13. It's like, this doesn't get erased until we get these astronauts home. And this is what I want you to embody every single day you're sitting on console. And that's true. Wow. Um, and it's, it's crazy. You know, th- there isn't nervousness. There's just, there's a job to get done and we're going to do it. And we're going to do it the best we possibly can. I love it, man. Super cool. <laughs> Let's go. Now, dude. if you just take that same mentality and apply it to everything you do in life. I was going to say, my God, people can just start applying that. It's easier said than done, right? Of you course. can't You can't teach motivation. You can't teach people to want to study. You can't teach them to want to be sharp or yep. be a part. You know, So when you have a team, it's so it, it's integral and it's so important to what you're doing. Yeah. The crew cohesion, that you know that you can trust the person next to you, that they're going to get their job done and you're, you're going to get yours done. And if you're not, you know they're going to get your back and help you. And Absolutely. You, same with them. You know, It's so important. I mean, in your job, we do in the fire service. I mean, my goodness, dude. You're, I love what you bring up about training because we train a lot too. Yeah. Because, you know, well, I always tell people, we get paid for what we're willing to do. And we have to know so many different rescue techniques and fighting different types of fires and swift water rescue and then heavy rescue. And if a plane goes down the airport, you got your crash units. And, you know, it's always this what is, but it, it's the, what is it? The low frequency, high risk. Yep. The one that, you know, that you train for that one moment, man. And a really, really bad day. Yeah. And it's cool when you're on it with a crew mm-hmm. and you you know you've trained for all those those moments. So when it does happen, and I've seen it happen, where it's like, oh my God, this is actually something we've trained for, and everyone's on it. Yep. And it just clicks, and it flows, and you get things done. It's a good feeling. Hell yeah. It's a great feeling. And you've got to have it, especially in such a high-risk atmosphere that you're yeah. in. That's so crazy, when, right? When you feel the glue stick, that's just truly like an amazing moment. It's worth the hours and time and the stress and the failure and simulations and doing stuff, you know? Absolutely. And I think a lot of people have a tough time with... Um, constructive criticism yep, and being afraid to make that mistake in training. But I always say like, it, we're here to train, make the mistake now. Absolutely. I'd rather it happen here. I'd rather I make the mistake in training than not be serious about what I'm doing and then get out there and the day comes and I'm nervous and Absolutely. I can't handle this pressure because I didn't take the training seriously. Yep. You know? No, I completely agree. And honestly, I, I kind of try to take a, a big... Um, What's the word for it? I, I try to take a big stance on that, like even just in my daily life, you know, really just trying to, like you say, you can't you can't force the, water, uh, the horse to drink, but you can lead them to the water, yeah. right? And so I, I try my best, like with my friends and even people that I don't really know. You know, I've had numerous people that will message me on, you know, LinkedIn or like a bunch, bunch of places. And they're just like, I, I just want to know, like, what, what did you do? Like, how'd you get there? Whatever. And like, I just try to provide them the options, right? I try to not be the high school guidance counselor that said, mm, you should probably do something else, I right? I try to be the person that's going to give you the options and, you know, cheer you along the way, right? right. Um, I, I've got numerous friends that will probably listen to this podcast that like, you know, I've seen them achieve unbelievable things in their career. And I've had phone calls with them where they are, you know, it's like 12 midnight and they're hysterically crying because everything, it just seems like it's flipping upside down. Mm. And sometimes in those moments, that's the most critical moment where someone just needs an ear and someone just needs an ear to listen and, you know, let them know that like, you know, this is a, this is the, you know, this is how it rolls, right? This is how the dice have hit the table right now. Mm. But the best thing is, is you're about to roll again. So keep going, right? Like don't give up understand that there's a lot of things that are at play and you just have to run the best possible decision you can for yourself and, you know, see where life leads you, right? 
It's the best one. Very man. good, dude. <laughs> uh, just spitting out some wisdom over here, dude. I, try- I love it, Rob. That's right, man. That's why I. How old are you, dude? I'm about to be 27 in September. Oh my gosh, 27 years old and just crushing it. I love <laughs> it, dude. Now, on your when your console, I don't know if you can talk about. it. No, you don't have to, but I mean, I'm sure. Is it? Is there a lot of control buttons that you have and things you're watching? Is there a console? I mean, as far as your spot as flight controller, what are you looking at? So that's funny. Uh, so back in the day, like, um, so the uh, old Apollo mission control room, um, it's called the Moker, um, the uh, mission operations control room. I think you it can, it's a museum now, right? Yeah. So they just restored it. They spent like millions of dollars to bring it back to full kind of like operational status to that's the point right. where they, they accounted for the littlest details. Like they have certain ashtrays in certain places, like cigars and pipes and That's stuff where so they would cool. go. So like they have it set up as if it was the Apollo 11 moon landing again. And uh, really, really cool to see. Uh, if you ever go to Space Center Houston, they do a tour and you can just hop on the, the little tram thing and they bring you there. And the really cool part about it is it's in the Mission Control Center. Like it's not like a, oh, they took it and they moved it over to the museum. Like, no, it is still on site in the exact same spot it was when we landed on the moon. Wow. And it is in its current state. And so it's super, super cool to see. Um, uh, and so when you go there, they do like a full, like, uh, like show kind of, but they show like the displays and stuff pop up and kind of filter as if like it was the Apollo 11 moon landing and you hear the audio, you hear like Neil Armstrong calling down all this stuff. It's really, really cool. Um, if you go and see that, right, there's a lot of buttons and dials and like one singular screen that you probably will see on, mm-hmm. uh, the console. Uh, that is not what it is anymore. Uh, <laughs> I would imagine it's it, changed. Yeah, man. Yeah. So it is, it's all computerized now. Uh, okay. so we, we tend to have just like a, you know, it's a computer that has like five to six monitors and those monitors are fully loaded with data and all sorts of information that wow. we are constantly scanning. So you just have a mouse, like computer Yep. and you're doing your thing pretty much. Wow. And so like, you know, we'll have all these data streams up and you know they'll produce themselves in various things you know whether they're numbers or graphs or whatever and we are just scanning right Mm -hmm. we have like we call it a data scan and we're just kind of looking through certain pieces of data and just constantly trying to assess you know what is the state of our system are we trending in a bad direction are we trending good are Mm -hmm. things working the way they should right having the the knowledge and know-how to see like this is what we're doing right now and this is what i should expect to see and this is what i'm seeing right making that constant comparison so that way if something's going on the first thing you do is you know flight sparring uh, i've got an issue uh you know here and a lot of time you know we have automation and like you know software and stuff that will tend to call it out before we honestly even get a chance to see it mm-hmm. but knowing how to interpret that is a whole nother thing right? right so uh you know we get like you know alarms or something like that they'll say like hey like this is happening and so now you know first thing that happens when that happens is flight director is going to call your console and say hey what's happening and you kind of have to either on the like on that moment either you know what's going on or say hey i need a few minutes and that, that's a very reasonable response that people actually don't realize that we have like you know something's going wrong we'll probably say hey give me like five minutes and i'll get you an answer because we're not going to rush to a conclusion let's get let's figure out what the problem is here and typically you'll have a back room so um some some more context right that two-year training program gets you to the back room it's called it's what we call the mipser um multi-purpose support room um and that's like your your like I say backup, but truly it's a two, it's a two man two man or two woman team, right? So yeah. you are um, 
working together uh, typically in like dynamic ops and stuff like that to, to help figure things out. Uh, once you finish that two years, then you've got about another six months or so, and that gets you into the front room. So the front room is like the true flight control room. That's where the flight director and all the, the like real consoles that you see on like TV are. Um, and then from there, you can start to do all sorts of different certifications, right? You can do like instructor, um, you can do, um, yeah, we start doing like things called like expedition leads. So they actually, um, an expedition lead is like take possession of a crew and pushes them through their training program and stuff like that. Wow. Um, so there's a lot of things that you like my job doesn't have to be just at a console, which is I see. wild. Very, very yeah. cool. And that's like the train piece, right? So you have plan, train, and then the flying. So there's room for you to expand. So much room. That's awesome. There's so many options. And that's yeah. just really one of the coolest parts that I, I didn't even expect going into this job. Um, great example is, uh, so I, uh, I, I got certified in a lesson as an intern. Uh, as an intern, we put our interns through like literally the flight controller program. So we put them through the first segment of training, which is typically a couple weeks or uh, it's like a month or so, um, you know, which is like the first, it's kind of more like the mechanical electrical, like engineering for dummies phase where we start introducing them to like the high level. Like this is what's on space station. Mm-hmm. Um, we get them command trained. So, uh, we do a whole separate training to get approval to send commands to things. Wow. Um, and so we put our interns through like interns are not getting coffee. They're not like just sitting it's not around. What people think of the movies, right? Exactly. So they're actually getting legit training. Oh, yeah. S- things that can inspire them and help them exactly. get to where they want to go. 110%. Thank you, NASA. You know, they're developing. Good up. Lord. Good <laughs> job. Yeah, they're, they're developing procedures that we use today. You know, mm-hmm. they, they are doing the same work that we're doing. So really NASA awesome. really gives a crap about their employees. Oh. So yeah. th- I would imagine, do they have pretty good retention? Oh, yeah. So I, so the, now with the commercial industry, you know, it's 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 becoming harder, right? That yeah. just it happens. And there's a lot of steps that go into, you know, hiring people. So obviously it takes a lot to kind of recover from that level of attrition. But the, the truth of it is, is the people who do leave, I mean, they're typically not leaving because they hate their jobs. They're leaving because there's a, just a new opportunity and a new challenge that they want to pursue. And that's totally reasonable. Yeah. Um, but you know, we, I am, I'm here because I, I love it. And everyone I talk to loves their job. We love what we do. We love the people we work with. And that's, that's valuable in itself. That's so great because that's a statistic. Like, I think it's like over 80% of Americans hate going to work. Yeah. That's thinking what, why then, why don't you have the courage to just leave and do something else? 100%. Man? Your I, life is short. What if we spend like 75% of our lives at work? Yeah. And you're going to work somewhere that you don't like? If I was waking up every morning hating what I was doing, I'd be a miserable person. Oh my God. It, it, it would mess with your psyche. Absolutely. Your mental health. And people don't realize that, man. Like, I mean, it, the things you do at work, the things you do in life, whatever, right? That stuff carries with you. Oh, yeah. And you know, yeah. like if you had a bad day at work, you tend to come home and feel like a little rough, right? Like, yeah. and that's just natural, right? Yeah. Um, it's, you know, your brain locks, latches onto those types of things. So it, you want to wake up and go somewhere that you are going to be appreciated, that you're going to love what you do, and that you can just like live your life happily both in and out of the office. Right. And oh my God, I mean, like work-life balance at NASA is a huge thing. I've, I've got people on my team sometimes that like, they'll be like, hey man, like I just want to make sure like you're not like overworking yourself or anything. I'm like, man, I'm not even close to what I was doing in college. This That's is so glorious. Rad. That's good. You got to have that work-life balance, man. 100%. I think a lot of places... At least in America, they don't do that. I and mean, for me, I know at least in the career that I chose, I actually, you know, I wake up and go to work. I'm like, okay, I get to go to work today. Yeah. 
where some people wake up like, oh my God, I can't believe I got to go here. They yeah. got a terrible boss or coworker. You know, it's it's priceless to be able to say, oh, I get to go to work today. Yeah. And you know what? And like the space industry is not immune to that. And I've had plenty of conversations with people that uh, like some of my friends, really close friends that are just have, like have had those moments where they're like, you know, there was a months of time that they were like, I just, I'm not enjoying what I'm doing. And I was like, then you need to look for other options. Look elsewhere. Like, look yeah. elsewhere because it, at this point, you've done your best effort to make this job your like a, a home for you, right? To enjoy what you're doing. And the truth of it is now, like it's, let's assess, you know, what you really want to do and take that leap. Hell, my cousin, I, she, she did a pretty interesting pivot, right? So she was, she went to Cornell um, and she went and did like a kind of a human factors design thing and uh, went back to New York City and worked as a, um, worked for a really big ergonomics firm called Human Scale. And, um, you know, just did her job and, you know, realized over time that she wanted to do something else. And she ended up pivoting big time, went back to school, and now she's a nurse in New York. And, for her. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, she's a couple years older than I am. And so when I heard her doing that pivot, I was probably still in college. And it even made me reflect for a moment. I was like, am I doing what I want to do? Yeah. Uh, I mean, granted, my response was, hell yeah, I'm doing what I want. <laughs> yeah. uh, but like, you know, some for some people, that's not always the case. And that's mm. I even say that with kids who are like considering going to college and stuff like that is, know what you're going in for like college is way too expensive especially now in the modern time to just go in kind of guessing what you want to do you gotta you gotta be like going in with some level of intention so you know what you're going to do because otherwise you're going to be dealing with a whole boatload of debt for a whole no good reason Doing things you don't want to do right being a job you don't want to be in exactly dude i got a question for you so yeah go for it artemis 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 missions that were going on we've been to the moon Mm mm-hmm why have we taken such a huge, gener- I would say generational gap of yeah. not going to the moon? And if we've been there, why don't we have the data and, and that technology to help us kind of get going quicker? Yeah. So honestly, the, the biggest pieces to that is one, think about what was happening when we went the first time. It was a war. It was a cold yeah. war. Oh, yeah. And the, you know, Cold War is cold because, you know, there wasn't this exchange of gunfire, things like that, but it produced itself in other forms. Exhibit A, the space race. Mm. And so we had a much larger, you know, intention behind what we were doing. So the checks became a lot more blank. Mm. Um, it's not only hard, but it's really expensive to go to space. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of just like, like we've talked about, you know, all the things we've just talked about, whether it be people, you know, facilities, et cetera, that stuff costs money and it mm. costs a lot of money mm. and keeping it up with the times costs even more money. Right. Yeah. So that's one of the biggest reasons is that we just haven't had the level of intention that we had back in the cold war. Right. And again, this is speaking from my own, my own opinions this is not really like no, NASA's yeah, opinion here, absolutely. but it's just really like, you know, there's a, there's that level of intention that comes from just the highest levels in the government that really pushed that kind of initiative. Right. Um, and it really wasn't until I'd say probably around the like, you know, 2012 ish era where space started to come up as a question again. Right. Like it was the kind of that, moment of time that phased out after space shuttle which space shuttle was a great program it built the space station um and we needed it to build space station like space station wouldn't exist without the space shuttle i mean it was the school bus of the sky it yeah. was able to tra- like bring up such unbelievable ca- uh, payloads up but it was extremely expensive it cost about a billion dollars per launch of the space shuttle oh my god uh, yeah. a billion a launch yes one billion Woo! per launch so that's a lot of money Dang, man <laughs> and so with all that considered, you know, it's 
how do we do this on a better platform, right? It's got to be more usable. It's got to be more efficient. There's a lot of pieces that have to play into it, right? Um, on top of that, there's just a level of design work and, and you know, kind of, you know, the lines in, in the sand in which we have to get past in order to, you know, approve a design and approve requirements and do all these things that like, it just takes, you know, a level so there's of time. a, there's a lot more behind the scenes than we understand to Absolutely. get to that point again. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, like NASA is not a commercial entity, right? Commercial mm-hmm. entities operate with one primary thing in mind, which is a dollar sign. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I won't say that entirely, right? There's a lot of companies that really embrace a mission. And of course, I mean, that's important, right? I mean, most companies nowadays have some type of mission or vision or stuff, but Mm -hmm. space entities tend to follow their mission a lot more intensely than like, I don't know, like an accounting firm, right? Just because like their missions tend to be like expanding like humanity across multiple celestial bodies and like all these things, right? And they embrace that and they push that. But in addition to, you know, there's there's the ability to to increase dollar signs, right? Um, and that typically comes from NASA contracts and all that stuff, too. Yeah. And NASA's made a lot of pivots in that time, too, right? NASA, you know, back in the day, the Apollo era and stuff like that was really focused on doing their own kind of missions, where now we're embracing the commercial sector, right? It's the idea of enhancing and bettering the commercial sector so that NASA doesn't have to do everything. Mm. Those commercial sector, like, bodies can do things really well and have, you know, this like level of time that that uh, and level of ability that we as NASA just really can't like achieve at the same exact level because there's a lot of le- a lot of different pieces to play into it right um, NASA it's you know public opinion it's you know what the government entities want all oh those things God, and so it's it's all it's all based around those ideals and so you kind of have to operate around that to you know still pursue it an end mission but you know in the best possible way with regard to funding and so on yeah um, with a commercial entity they're funded by investors they're funded yeah. by their own level of initiative and so there's a lot of cool things that can happen and I think that partnership is the new NASA. Yeah, you know what? I know maybe I'm wrong here. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I know a lot of us who are not involved or know how NASA runs or this space and these other companies, but we're seeing billionaires injecting themselves, <laughs> launching into space. And I got to be real, it's kind of annoying. Yeah, I'm thinking you're you're doing this just because you got the money. Mm-hmm. Are you really in this for the exploration and the advancement of humanity? Or is this just look at me, right? Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking, what are you doing, dude? Wore a cowboy hat. He's landing, popping champagne. I'm just like, what did you accomplish? Like, great job, dude. Cool for you. Now, does that has to bug people who are actually really into the aerospace industry, right? So I'll say this. I I, I definitely think there are. Oh, I have friends and stuff that definitely like get annoyed by it for sure. Yeah. Um. In my opinion, I don't really care. And uh, and, and, this, and this is this is how this is why I say that, right? Their money is going towards the furthering of us in space. Okay, that's a good point. And you know what? I'll take that any day of the week because the truth is, is, uh, you know, NASA, commercial entities, whatever, really what we do does rely a lot on the public's perception and in our pursuit of space, right? Yeah. And and you mentioned this way earlier, right? The the common question of like, why do we need, need NASA? Like, we could use that money and you know solve hunger, or like things like that, right? And it's mm-hmm. like it's just so much bigger than that. The it is. the efforts of us going to space bring technology back down to Earth way more than a lot of people give credit for, and people forget about that a lot. Yes. You know, things such you know, cell phones, right? Right. Cell phone technology, you talk like refrigerators, man. You, you talk ballpoint pens. That's all stuff that came from space. That ballpoint endeavors. pen thing, people don't understand that. Yeah. 
That's that, that became because because of the space race. Yes, the Fisher space pen is what <laughs> yeah. started the idea of a ballpoint pen. Yeah, the idea that oh, like you know, we can like, or at least much more like much further enhanced the technology of a ballpoint pen. But it really truly um, comes down to that space pays back dividends mm-hmm. compared to a lot of the other to our culture to the advancement of what we're doing on Earth yep. technology, like you said. And I'm a huge kind of history nerd. That's why I kind of know some of this stuff. Yeah. People, I make kind of, I have tattoos, whatever, and surf, and I do all this crazy stuff, but I actually, I dig this type type of thing. I look into it all the time. I'm like, wow, that's where the ballpoint pen came from. That's crazy. It came from because of the space race. It's crazy, man. And it it even goes beyond that, too. Like MRI machines, like things we use on a daily basis, cancer, like uh, treatments for cancer, screenings for cancer. Like those things are experiments that are being done on space station and experiments that we did during Apollo and all these things that we like have learned how to do these things because we wanted to see how space impacted the body or whatever or how we would go about operating in this environment or whatever. And now those technologies translated back down here, right? That's what NASA is. NASA is an entity for the people. You know, it's a government entity and their job is to provide a better life for those that they, for their constituents, which is the people of the United States, right? Yeah. And they do so through the technologies that they're able to develop. Uh, to, de- to develop. And then the other factor that plays into this is that NASA doesn't just do space. <laughs> it's the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. They're doing a whole boatload of stuff with regard to supersonic airplane travel and like how to minimize, you know, sonic booms and how to like uh, enhance, uh, you know, uh, efficiency of airplanes and things like that to minimize fuel usage or try different types of fuels. And there's so much that goes on in this entity. It is a true just R&D kind of situation and all of that pays right back into the American people. Oh, absolutely. Those those astronauts that, that are going to be for the Artemis missions, are they picked already? Are they kind of, is it like a, is it like a race to see who's going to be picked? No, so no one, no one's picked yet. And, you know, who knows when that's going to happen? I'm hopeful, right? Hopefully we'll hear something soon, but. Can it, you imagine being the person picked? It's going to be pretty crazy. Oh my Being the goodness. first people to go back oh to the moon goodness. after yeah, Apollo. That's like, huge. And you know, there's a lot of really cool stuff that, I mean, if I was one of those first people, I would say like one of the first things I would love is just being able to see, you know, some of the stuff that people have left up there. So that, I was about to bring Apollo, that up. Apollo 17. Uh, oh, left good. a picture, right? A yes, picture, I, a I think plaque. Ed White. Ed White. He left a... He left a family photo yeah. in the regular F and I was like, that's freaking cool. And didn't we leave a plaque up there too? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh like yeah. That? So on the, on the bottom of the, the, uh, lem, which is the lunar lander, mm-hmm. um, there's a plaque for the Apollo 11 one that says like, you know, we came as a man to unite the world and like all this stuff. It's like, oh dude, I guess, dude, that just hits me in the heart right now. Uh, it's just so, it's super so cool. deep. It's so deep. Oh yeah. I can't imagine being those guys and go, and the Apollo, that lander, part of that landing, um, what do you say, machine or whatever it yeah. was, is still on the moon. Yep. And what about the flag? I think it's got to be all faded out, right? No, it's still there, man. It's still there, and you know, it's just hanging out there. That's incredible. It's oh, real cool. Well, whoever gets picked, good for them. Yo. I think that's so rad. Hell yeah, man. But uh, one of the last things, because we're kind of running out of time. Now, yeah. this wow, might be an, an interesting... Yeah, I know. This might be an interesting subject. I don't know if it's touchy or not, but UAPs. Unidentified aerial phenomenon. Okay, gotcha. Now, is that something that's very taboo and NASA, like, okay, we can't talk about this if... I'm not saying that it exists, yeah. okay? But if something comes across a video camera or screen, we can't talk about it. Dude, I got aliens working at my cube right now. Stupid. <laughs> 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 no, man, no. I, it's definitely not taboo. I mean, like, okay. I mean, I, I've never seen anything. Um, right. And, you know, I, I really don't know how that all works. But to be honest, I mean... 
if we saw something really cool, that'd be awesome. Uh, I mean, I, you know, our, our jobs at NASA, right. Are trying to find life somewhere else. Too. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, I mean, that plays into everything. Um, I, I don't know how all that stuff works to be honest, but yeah. like if we did see something while like whatever's going on, I mean, if I remember correctly, like there's been, there's been moments where space station cameras have caught stuff. And I mean, those are all publicly accessible streams right, and right. those, yeah, I follow people just get that. Yeah. There's some page that I follow that. That's this whole guy's thing. Oh yeah, is watching those live feeds. Yeah, and pulling those instants off. Or, oh, they shut it down because something came by. I'm like, well, whatever, dude. Well, and it's also it's just really hard to tell. Like to be honest, because like where space station is in space or whatever. I mean, it's 250 miles up, and there's a lot of things that are in that kind of like orbital area. Space junk, right? Right. Space junk, like all sorts of you know, whether it be pieces of other rockets or pieces of satellites or just old satellites that don't work anymore or literal working satellites. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that's up there, um, and they're all moving at 17 plus thousand miles per hour oh um and God. so like we as space station actually uh we have a console called topo uh they're like the trajectory person and their job is actually looking at where space station is going and looking ahead of it and saying is there stuff there that we might like potentially impact um and so if so we do you know avoidance maneuvers so like space station actually has like engines on it and I didn't know that. yeah and so space station will like push it up or bring it down or do like move it around mm. to avoid debris because you know we we've obviously designed space station to be able to you know take a hit or two right like it's not meant to just like totally fall apart as soon as like one little thing hits it but um there's you know a lot of we try to avoid that situation at all costs because oh, i'm sure um, you know those things are moving extremely fast and i mean if you've if you ever shot a firearm right you know a little piece of metal right that's a, a bullet moving at some extremely fast speed take the same exact concept you know like a metal plate which is like the side of sta space station and a little piece of metal moving at you know 17 plus thousand of, miles per hour damage dude oh can do a lot of damage yes a lot so, of damage so they you know big concern is just being aware of those things but yeah so long story short with your with your uap, UAP comment um yeah it, you know we there's really not much taboo about it like if anything like we think it's pretty freaking cool <laughs> okay um, so it's rad it's not like it's not like it's not it's not like it's taboo they're trying to hide anything you get in trouble if you there's say plenty something. Of, there's plenty of nasa people that would love to see aliens or for us to like you oh know land on mars and find like a new life or something well, like, i mean really my, cool. again i go back to that pale blue dot yeah and it makes you realize how big our universe is and it's just our galaxies and then the millions of galaxies that are out there yeah. and there's so i'm thinking i always say it i'm not saying little green martians but there's got to be more than just us dude That's to think that we're the only intelligent life yeah in this humongous space and time, yep. to me, that's a little arrogant. If you want to talk pale blue dot exemplified by a thousand, uh, there's a new picture that just came out, I want to say a couple weeks ago, and it's from Voyager 1. Voyager 1 is one of the very first satellites that we launched as humanity. Is that outside of our solar system now? Yes. No way. And it is still in contact with us. <laughs> and, just, and just sent back another picture of Earth from, it was, I think it's... Oh gosh, it's like millions and millions of miles away now at this point. But they took a little picture, and we just look like a little star in the background oh of just gosh. all of these things that are out there. You know, various like other you know celestial like groups and things like that. Yeah. That you know, all you see is just little Earth, and it's like and literally, that literally this big. It's just and we're on that little speck. Yeah, and so I mean, I highly encourage you and like if your listeners and everything, like check that photo out because if you think pale blue dot makes you feel small. What's that picture called? Uh, is there a name for it yet? I don't know if there's a name it's for just, it. It's just it's from Voyager 1. If you look up like latest Voyager 1 photo, I'm sure it'll come up in Google. But How long does it take for Voyager 1 to send back information? 
Is that like it's years gotta, or months? It's, it's got to be like an absurd amount of time. I mean, it's it's. I don't think it's at the months point per se. Um, so like, right? It's it's all about the travel, uh, the speed at which light can travel, right? So like, okay. one light year says it takes light a year to travel. So it's not that far away. Um, I'd say we're definitely on the factor of like weeks for like information to come back from it, we're one. still in contact with yep. that's incredible which is uh, wild yeah very very and the technology that was launched in, in the 90s right or 80s that was launched in like 70s oh uh, probably i think it was like some how is the technology I think, I think it was before, still able to work uh, dude it's look at space station space station is currently i think it's approaching its 25th anniversary um uh, either in a year or two wow and it was designed originally for like a 10-year mission and we're talking yeah, I love it, it, you know, we, we ah. designed with some crazy levels of protections. And right. I mean, and it's our astronauts who go up there and fix it yeah. and build an add on. Yeah. Right? And we and we help make that happen. Right. So we as operators, we like we figure out, all right, like th these things are broken. Let's replace it. And they've got replacement parts and stuff like that up there that, you know, a lot of the pieces of space station are, are kind of modular so that we can simply just pop it out put a new one in right wow. i mean we used to have like old like uh, uh nickel batteries and then now we have lithium ion so like you know things like that we upgrade to try to make it better and try to continue its life as long as That's it amazing. wants to be funded yeah. um and so it's it's pretty exciting well i'll tell you what i want to keep funding Hell you heard it yeah. here on let's go podcast <laughs> let's keep funding man i love it but let's go keep funding <laughs> yeah, let's go let's keep funding but rob thank you so much for for coming on here man and and just being so open and talking about what you do and again i think you know everyone thinks of nasa in space they look at the astronauts but i'm so big on the people behind the scene it takes intelligent hard-working motivated people to keep pushing us farther and further into space so to you to your team and everyone at NASA that are working so hard. Thank you so much. I love it. I follow everything space and flight. I skydive. I love jumping out of plane, dude. So I think it's amazing. I think exploration is needed and we got to keep pushing. We got to keep pushing because who knows what we'll discover one day, what it'll do for just earth and humanity, you know? Absolutely, man. You know, just be outside your comfort zone. Keep pushing. Don't give up on dreams. And like, it's, it's such a real thing where life can take you. And I mean, I, I love that you say you skydive. Like I've, I skydive, I scuba dive. I've, oh, that's awesome. I've done everything, man. It's because I love to like push myself outside the comfort zone. And I love to just really try to and, and keep living life because beyond just space and beyond everything, you know, we have a life that we're living here and, you know, you should be living it to the best you can and don't let your dreams fall just because, you know, something goes wrong, the, the wrong way. Right. You I just it, keep living, keep enhancing, keep driving. <laughs> Hell yeah. Ended on that, dude. <laughs> Rob, thank you so much. Uh, before we, when we get out of here, we got a challenge coin for you, some stickers and oh, hell shirt, yeah, man. man. So just say thank you on the challenge coin in the back. It says uh, two most important days of your life, when you were born and when you find out why. <gasps> That's so, awesome. Thank you so much, man. Uh, I hope you have a great 4th of July. Yes, you as well. Thank yeah, you so much. Enjoy, dude. It's... Uh, America, baby. Yeah. Freedom, dude. <laughs> I'll be launching little rockets. Yeah, dude. It's, it's going to be a good day. And it's, it, you know, um, thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate it. I'll time. tell you what, Rob, you you are welcome here anytime. Any other uh, other friends that want, ever want to come on here, work with NASA or space or anything. We'll pull more Ember Riddle people in here. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, we're going to be the launching pad for Ember Riddle. <laughs> so good, but dude, let's get a let's go on three, okay? You ready? Right. One, two, three. Let's, let's go. go. Bye, everybody. And that's it. Thank you for listening in, everybody. We'd like to thank our sound engineer who makes this podcast happen and makes us sound very good, Stephen Clark. And to our first sponsor, 8-9 Barbers. Look good, feel good, be great. Come get your haircut at two locations, Long Beach and in Orange, California. 
Your appointment can be booked at 89barbers.com. That is E-I-G-H-T-N-I-N-E-B-A-B, excuse me, B-A-R-B-R-E-R-S. 89barbers.com. Again, look good, feel good, be great. Check it out. It's my barber. He is the man. Thanks, everybody. Bye.